0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God which we receive with joyful hearts this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. It's a long section and we'll take it in pieces. We'll begin with verses 11 to 13. Then Jesus said to them, A certain man had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. What do we mean when we pray our Father who art in heaven? Or rather, we should ask, what does God intend that we should mean when he teaches us to pray our Father? The scripture reading before us today is indeed a very good one to discuss exactly what it means to call God our Father and how he wants us to think of him. It means that his love for us is unconditional, even when we seek to take advantage of it, God nevertheless does not stop lavishing that love upon us or remove his love from us. In the first part of the parable, the son certainly takes advantage of his father's love. There are different views on parenting, and there's a spectrum, of course, of leniency and strictness, and exactly how lenient or how strict to be with your children kind of depends. However, in our parable, and understand that this parable is not meant to teach us how to be parents, of course, but it is meant to teach us how our father deals with us, right? In our parable before us, this father is certainly far on the lenient side of parenting. You can tell that by the reactions of his sons. His younger son is not afraid to come before him with what is a really an appalling request. Give to me now my inheritance. You know, that which I ought to receive when you die, give it to me now. He is not afraid of his father's wrath, is he? He trusts his father's love even to the point where he thinks that he can take advantage of it. And even when he does such a sinful thing as to sell it all so that he can take the money and go to a faraway land, the father never makes any attempt to stop him. He is sinful, but he is also bold, trusting and that unconditional love of his father. And even the elder son does not object, as one might expect from an elder son, to say to the father or to say to the younger son, this is inappropriate. But goes along with it and receives uh, this inheritance from his father. What the younger son does in asking for the inheritance and what he does with the inheritance is very sinful, nevertheless His boldness in not being afraid to come before his father speaks of a son who trusts that unconditional, takes advantage of it, but trusts that unconditional love of his father. The father's love for us is such that he does not remove it from us even when we use it to take advantage of him. The gift that the Father has given to us when he says to us that we should call him our Father. When he says to us, you are sons of God, is a gift beyond any price. And yet so often when we pray our Father, we seek only to take advantage of his love. We so often think, well, it doesn't matter if I sin because my Father will forgive me anyway. We also often pray our father, asking only for sinful things and sinful requests. And yet, his love remains. And he deals with us in his love as he dealt with this younger son. We continue verses 14 to 21. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. To call God our Father means that his unconditional love is there for us no matter how far we have fallen and how great our sin is. It is often assumed that the lowest point of this son's sin of his life is when he goes to eat the pot, when he wants to eat the pods, that even the, the swine are fed and is not able. But actually, he does something even more depraved than that. He actually takes another step into even greater sin, when he says to himself, "I will return and be like one of my father's servants." Certainly the first part of that statement I will return is what the Father desires. He calls us indeed to return from our sin but the second part I will be like one of my Father's servants. I will earn back some of my Father's respect. I will work for some of that respect. I will attempt to pay back the Father for what I have done. That's basically what he is saying here and that of course is sinful there is no repentance there there is no trust in his father's love is there there is still some arrogance and pride and that idea that well yes i have fallen greatly but i can at least start or attempt to earn back the father's respect and the father's love this man does not understand God's unconditional grace. He does not understand the fullness of his own sin, nor does he appreciate the price, the value of God's love if he thinks that he can even begin to earn it back or, or, or to pay it back. There are many who, many who would say that at this point, this is a, a good terrible. There are many who would nod their heads and say, Yes, this is a good plan that the Son has here. Certainly, the Pharisees whom Jesus were talking to would have said, Oh, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Let, let him go back and start as a servant and, and try to work his way back into his, his Father's grace. There was one commentator who pointed out that if Jesus stopped the parable here, then this would be a good moral fable, moral parable, just like Aesop's. It would be a story that we, in our sinful nature, would understand and agree with, but it is not the truth of God's kingdom. Yes, many would say, the son has messed up and now he must earn back that respect. And the fact that we often don't even realize how great a sin is, It is for this younger son to say this underlines our own sinful nature, doesn't it? Such an attitude shows how little we value the grace and mercy and love of our God. How little we value the gift that he has given to us when he teaches us to pray our Father. If we truly appreciated the depth of our sin and the love of God, we would know that there is no way We can even begin to earn it back, and there is no need, because God's love is unconditional. The nearest analogy I could think of to what this son does here is that it would be as if a man lay with his wife and afterwards said to her, here's $10 for your troubles. It devalues God's love. Yet such is the attitude of the son at this point. There is no true repentance. There is a partial recognition of his own sin, but no true repentance and appreciation of the father's love. It's not surprising that the son is unrepentant at this point, is it? Because he has not yet been surrounded, encompassed, by that unconditional love of his father. And without that gospel that grace, without the Father coming to him and speaking those words of forgiveness, our sinful hearts are incapable of repentance. And so the son returns in arrogance and still in his sin, and yet the Father sees him from far away and runs and embraces him and shows him his unconditional love. And now we read the words that do show true repentance. For now the son responds, I have sinned against heaven and in earth and in your sight, but he does not this time continue with that blasphemous statement, let me work for you, let me earn back your respect. There is only acknowledgement of his sin and a trust in the father's love. This is what it means when God teaches us to pray, our Father, that his love is unconditional and is there for us no matter how far we have fallen. We do not need, nor should we try, to earn it back. It is given to us by his grace. We continue with verses 22 to 32. But the Father said to his servants, "'Bring out the best robe and put it on him, "'and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, "'and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, "'and let us eat and be merry. "'For this my son, who was dead and is alive again, "'he was lost and is found.' "'And they began to be merry. "'Now his older son was in the field, "'and as he came near and drew near to the house, "'he heard music and dancing. "'So he called one of the servants "'and asked what these things meant.' And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother who was dead and is alive again, and was was lost and is found. God, to call God our Father means that his unconditional love not only forgives us and embraces us, but seeks even to restore us to that sonship, to that relationship that we have lost with him through our sin. One of the primary duties of a father is to provide for his family, right? Right? And the evening meal is a wonderful opportunity for, for the father to, to sit down with his family and to enjoy the fruits of his labor, to, to say to his family, here is, is what I have provided for you, let us, let us rejoice together, let us be a family. It cannot be overly emphasized the importance of sitting down to a meal together as a family putting away the TV and the cell phones and enjoying that fellowship that community that a meal provides in our text the father invites his son to that family meal to take up again that place he had before as a true son the feast of this parable elevates and restores that prodigal son back into the right relationship, not only the right relationship with his father, but the right relationship of the community, which he lost when he abandoned his family and his father. The father's unconditional love and the fullness of his forgiveness restores that son to full fellowship. Not only in the family, but in the community over which that father is lord and master. When the son was in a far distant land, he thought that the problem was that he was hungry and destitute and without a home. These things were not the real problem, were they? The real problem was the loss of his family, his community, and his father. The hunger was merely a wake-up call for him to realize how far he had fallen. The forgiveness also is the restoration of that relationship. So it is with us in our lives as well. We often think that our problem is the sufferings of this world, the hunger, the disease, the war, the poverty. But these things are not the real problem, are they? but only the sign, the symptom, which God allows in order to wake us up, to make us realize what we are missing and what we have lost, and to call us to return to him. The real problem is that loss of that relationship which we ought to have with our Father. These things call us to recognize our sin and perhaps even bring to our mind the promises that our Father gives to us in His Holy Word. The promises of that pleasant pasture, that living water, which He as our Good Shepherd leads us to. They call us to come back. But God, who is rich in mercy, not only forgives our sins, but restores us to that full status of sons of God and invites us to the feast, invites us to sit down and eat with him and with his son and with the entire community. And that's exactly what we are about to receive here in a little bit, isn't it? That same feast which the Father prepares for this prodigal son, he prepares here for us that we might sit down and dine with him and with his son and have communion, that we might be one with the Father and with one another, brought together by his love and through the blood of his only begotten Son who died for our sins. This is what God wishes us to understand and to appreciate. When he teaches us to pray our Father. That his love is unconditional for us even when we take advantage of it. That his love is unconditional and there for us no matter how far we have fallen. And that through that love he restores us. Not just forgiving us, but restoring us to that sonship, to that fellowship with him. The address of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven is a simple statement, isn't it? It's not a request. It's not an offering to God. On the surface, all that we have done is to say to whom we are praying. And yet, it might well be the most important part of the Lord's Prayer. Since it is God's greatest joy and earnest desire that we return to him as this son did in the parable, that we be restored and be called the sons of God and that we understand and trust that he is our father. If we truly understood and were able to pray these six words fully from our hearts, we would need to pray nothing else. Those six words would be a sufficient prayer for the day. Yet, on the other hand, if we truly appreciated what these words mean, there's no power on earth that could stop us from continuing in ours to prayer to our Heavenly Father, our Father who art in Heaven. With these words, God tenderly encourages us to believe that He is our true Father, and we are His true children, so that we may ask Him boldly and with complete confidence, as dear children, ask their dear Father. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in him.